Hey lovelies, welcome to the journey of self-love through self-care. My name is Amy Mercado and I'm the owner and the creator of my brand, The Mercado Method, where I teach a variety of online fitness and yoga classes, breath works, meditations, and much, much more. If you're interested, you can head over to my website or my YouTube below and check out some of the classes. And this episode today is kindly sponsored by Flight Club, a brand whose mission is to change the attitude towards vulnerability to increase real human connection. This change starts by encouraging people to talk to each other and also enabling them with the tools to be able to express how they feel and connect on a deeper level. Making connection is all about trust and trust comes from gaining confidence. Confidence comes through trying something despite the uncomfortable feeling of venturing into the unknown. Flight Club's clothing range provides an opening for people to be vulnerable by breaking the ice of a conversation with their quirky clothing designs. 50% of Flight Club clothing and coaching help to fund activities to raise awareness to the power of vulnerability and suicide prevention. For more info on the brand or to buy online, head over to plightclub.co.uk. Now, back to today's episode where I'm joined by Danny, aka Bongo Boy. And myself and Danny met, well, we met the other year at a Stone Cold Sober Festival where I was facilitating some yoga classes. And I didn't actually really get the opportunity to connect to Danny very much um, last year. However, this year we had what I would call a very magical experience together where everyone was literally stone cold sober, raving their tits off on what felt like the only way to describe it it felt like i was in an ib for orchestra dancing with people playing the bongos our friend jen was on the violin we had people djing and danny was on the bongos probably for multiple hours while i was shaking my thing on the stage and you were amazing and you just kept going and going and later uh, I think it was the next day we actually got to have a real heart to heart talk and I realized that I'd actually read an article about yourself before really even getting this opportunity to know you where I would re I was reading about this person that people wanted to find known as Bongo Boy who had been making his way around to nights out and literally playing the bongos to support your well-being and get yourself back into a place of being you maybe so what i wanted to do danny was basically hand over to you tell us who you are what maybe got you into bongo in your way around to feeling good in you and yeah just share some of your story and we can sort of bounce backwards and forwards and bongo backwards and forwards and see what comes out well first of all even though the uh <laughs> Even though they nicknamed me Bongo Boy, uh, I was actually playing an African djembe. So it's it's not actually a bongo, but I'm just rolled with that name anyway, because, I mean, it's hilarious and, and no one will allow me to forget that now anyway. So I might as well just roll with it. But it kind of all happened uh, organically. Like I was just going through my own process of a healing journey through grief and, and losing my father. And, um, and kind of you know getting lost in this ball of grief and 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 kind of you know not so great patterns whether it be you know drugs and alcohol or binge eating or self 
loathing, you know what I mean? All these kind of not so great things, you know, but I, uh, I met some amazing people near locally that were doing breath works and, and facilitating Reiki and all these kind of like holistic therapies. And then through a friend of Joanna's, who's one of the organizers at Stone Cold Sober, I got asked to volunteer last year. Um, and it's the help of like Tammy Brett, my friend Tammy, who's a breathwork facilitator and a healer. She really kind of pulled me out of um, my kind of uh, slump, really, uh, by encouraging me to come out and to pull me to, to these places and to give me a lift. Um, because I was kind of in this kind of lonely um, bubble where I wasn't really seeing that many people and uh, I wasn't really going out uh, much, you know. So Tam kind of encouraged me to do that. And then I went to Stone Cold Sober, volunteered, had an amazing time, met some amazing people. And then that kind of snowballed last year. So I ended up going from Stone Cold Sober to then volunteering at Illuminate so shout out to Jake, uh, who is the facilitator at Illuminate, and it's kind of a branch off from Stone Cold Sober. So, so shout out to Joanna and Liam Brown as well for putting that amazing, and Pete, for putting on that amazing, amazing experience and that amazing place, sacred space, or a safe place for people to go and just relax and chill out. And then from that, I volunteered at Illuminate, and then I, <laughs> I got to All About Love, which is where... I got dragged into a 10-man drumming circle at this festival. So before that, my friends were trying to drag me to Conscious Dating, which was at this, at this big tent or marquee at the festival. And I was like, no, I'm not really down with Conscious Dating. I'm going to consciously not come to Conscious Dating. How about that, yeah? And then they were like, no, no, no. And then someone mentioned something to the actual facilitator. And then I was like, oh, no, no, don't blow me up now. And she's like, oh, you're not coming in. You're not coming in, which made it even worse. And I was like, oh, I'm sure it's a fantastic workshop and it's amazing. But, no, not today. Not today, thanks. Uh, and something was just pulling me away. And then when I walked around the corner, literally two minutes after that, I got dragged into this 10-man drumming circle, which was phenomenal. And then that was it. Then the Jemby was just, that's it. Me and you, marriage made in heaven. Um, so I bought a djembe, spent all my money at the festival, thought I don't care, I'll drum myself. If I'm hungry, I'll drum it away. If I'm thirsty, I'll drum it away. Uh, <laughs> so I bought the djembe and uh, started to play it then, taking the vibe round all about love. Uh, and then literally when I went to Love Jam, I met uh, a guy called Musa Dembele, Coraleco is called. Um, uh, an amazing musical artist from Africa that made all his own musical instruments. Um, and I ended up getting a, a second djembe from, from Musa. And, uh, and then, you know, just continuing to, to, to drum. Uh, and how he ended up in Manchester, a friend of mine just said, look, there's, there's a lot of sober events coming up now, a lot of sober raves or a lot of sober parties. And I came up in the 90s in the, you know, in the ecstasy culture and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So I'd seen the other side of all that, but I just thought, wouldn't it be nice to take the djembe to a sober space and give them the same kind of uh, vibes that I had growing up with, like Shovel from M People used to play at a, a club called Blue Note, which is in Todmorden, which is not far from me. So basically I used to listen to someone playing percussion to house music in the 90s. So I thought, well, why not go somewhere and take the djembe 
practice because that's what I really wanted to do practice because even though everyone's buzzing, I've literally only been playing it 12 months. Um, and everyone's going, oh, yeah, well, you're a natural, you're a natural. And it's quite overwhelming and it's humbling and it's lovely. Um, but I just want to practice because I'm like, you know, um, I suppose you'll always be your own worst critic. So um, I wanted to just practice. And I got down there and it was a, so a loud environment where I can play the djembe as loud as I want. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to piss my neighbours off. And uh, and I can get some practice in. And that's what I, I went there. And then the story goes, I went, played the djembe, had an amazing time, went home. Two days later, someone's contacted me saying, dude, you're in the paper. Some The, the Manchester Evening News is looking for you. You've been nicknamed fucking Bongo Boy. And I'm like, what? You fucking what? And he's gone, literally, you've been, right? So, and then sent me the article, and I, I just couldn't believe it. At first, I was in complete shock. Um, but lovely in, its, in itself that, it, that something like that would happen, you know? Um, and the organisers contacted me about, they did another write-up in the paper about, you know, my struggles with mental health and loss and grief, anxiety, um, you know, all that depression, heavy depression, you know? Um, and to come through that because the biggest killer in men between my age, you know, between a certain dynamic of age age is suicide. And I've lost friends to suicide uh, and it's horrible, you know, and I've been at that law of the law uh, and some people are not strong enough to come back from that or to find something that will pull them out from that. Uh, so I feel very grateful that uh, I've been managed to get through my tough time so that I can try and now, you know, do something positive with the djembe, do something with the drumming. It's very meditative. Uh, it's very primal. It, people instinctively react to it when you start playing. Um, it's a very beautiful, magical thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I went back to the club and played again at the club. Um, and then um, they've asked me to, you know, to, to come back and stuff like that. Or it's, you know, going down to the Stone Cold this year. Uh, different people or different events have been saying that they're going to put different things on and would like me to come down and drum. Um, so it, it's been a wild, wild uh, few months, to be honest. Wow. So when you went to Stone Cold Sober last year, you wasn't drumming? No, I didn't even have a drum then. I didn't even, you know, I just volunteered. Um, Tam, my friend Tam just said, look, they're looking for volunteers at Stone Cold Sober. Would you be interested in coming down there? You only have to do a few hours volunteering and then you can enjoy the festival. So I went down there. Uh, I did some cold water therapy. I did a man's circle, um, which was unbelievable. Have you done uh, anything like that before? Never, never. Uh, and very, very, a lot of men, when you sit down with men and, and you and you talk to them, a lot of the same insecurities and things, we all, all of us have the same kind of fundamental childhood trauma is a lot of it through, through all the men. There is some form of childhood trauma that triggers, you know, uh, some things. But I'd never done anything like that. Never done breath work either. I mean, all I did at that in that field last year was cry, you know, but... It, <laughs> In a, good, in a good way and trying to process all, all that kind of stuff. So a release of trauma. It's not things that has been talked about in the public eye uh, 
forever, really. Men's vulnerability, the way that men struggle, that's never been out there. It's kind of like men don't cry, men, you know, all that kind of bollocks. Um, that's kind of been pushed on us in, in society to not talk. Um, you know, like my my relationship was my, with my dad was very much like that because most all the men in my life were, were military men. So they, they, they were brought up a certain way. Um, not saying emotionless, but but didn't really kind of hard, tough men. Um, so my relationships with men were always, I've always been quite strained, you know, quite, you know, kind of tough and hard. Um, you know, so that's why I kind of like really gravitate towards women because that's all I've ever known, really. I was brought up by strong women in a house full of women. So, um, you know, that's, you know, I think why I, I'm, I'm more in touch with with kind of my emotions, I would, I would believe. How, um, when your dad did pass, what, what was the sort of process, if you don't mind sharing, that you went through during that? It, it was a tough, a very, very tough time because a large, a large part of me and my identity is that half of my family came from Italy. So an Italian parent, an Italian parent, my father, my grandma, my granddad, my aunties and uncles, they were all from Italy. Uh, and a lot of them passed when I was very young. Um, I did get a chance to spend some time with my grandma, but my grandma lived out there. So basically I, I lost my, 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 um, my grandma uh, and then my dad in a, in a six month period. Mm. So my grandma lived in Italy and I couldn't get to my grandma's funeral. I didn't find out till uh, too late at the time. So I couldn't travel to see my, my grandma to, to give her a send off. And then my, my father got really, really poorly. And it was something to do with his liver. They couldn't quite find out what it was. Um, but there was some kind of stuff in the media years and years ago where there was a lot of hospitals, some in America and then some in Europe that was all got some some kind of blood or so, some blood, blood donors or blood banks or something like that. And they got contaminated blood. This was contaminated blood that went to all the hospitals that was contaminated with the hepatitis C virus. So my father had a, an operation in Italy years and years ago. And when he had a blood transfusion, they, they transfused, they give him a blood transfusion with this, with this blood. So unbeknown for 20 years, over time, it, it, it contracted hepatitis C, which slowly but surely ate away his liver. Um, so it kind of like fell into a coma and I had to kind of just be with him basically for the last, you know, few days of his life. But um, I didn't hardly get any sleep. There wasn't really that much support uh, for me uh, at that time. Um, and I had to kind of deal with that and most of that on my own. Um, you know, when it, there's, there is no deadline, no timeline for anybody, for any kind of grief ever. You just find a place for it. It doesn't become the most predominant thing in your mind that you think about all the time. It's raw and fresh when it happens, but over time you kind of find a way to put it. It's always there. It's all, it'll never go away. But you kind of find a place to put it uh, and to, to sit with it and to be okay with it, especially in my in my uh, experience, you know. Um, I mean, I still deal with it every day. And then obviously 
there's other parts of of your of, of aspects of life that get involved with that as well. But um, it was dealing with it. It was like, yeah, friends saying, "Oh, really sorry, really sorry." But then it, it wasn't for a long time after that because I'd not dealt with it at all. I just pushed it somewhere, pushed it down somewhere, and just sat on it and chucked a load of stuff on. It's just like chucking a load of coats on a bed, you know, and, and putting it somewhere uh, and then tried to carry on with life and in society and a job working for my local council, taking calls, taking calls for absconded children, taking uh, calls for mental health and stuff like that, you know, and I think some of them calls and being in that experience made me realise just how, or, or just how okay I wasn't. Uh, or just how messed up I might truly be, you know, um, to a point where I just kind of had, you know, just com a complete, you know, breakdown, a complete nervous breakdown. Uh, and then just had to take some time out. The doctor gave me some time out and just told me to just kind of look, you know, uh, yeah, just really, really take time out. So then in this time, in the, in the time out and taking the time out, you know, I've looked at other things, I've, you know, different alternative medicines alternative things uh against western medicine you know not against it but just alternative ways of healing um because after taking antidepressants for years and years man you know you either become numb to them or they don't work or they make you worse or they give you other forms of uh i don't know side effects and stuff like that so i wanted to look at other things um, and that's what brought me to, you know, where I am now. And then a second run at Stone Cold Sober, which I knew this year, I thought, yeah, there's no way I'm volunteering this year. I thought I need to go and get involved. Um, and, you know, just to be walking around in, in the sense of a, a lovely community where you can disappear and have your own time if you want, or then you can interconnect and you can be completely in, in, immersed in everybody and the food and the and, and everything that's going on so it's a, it's a good place to go you know and uh, i would recommend anyone to go there it's perfect and, and a beautiful environment for kids and you know what i mean it's just a, it's a special special place you know um uh, and and i was really looking forward to coming back this year and i mean then that when you said like you vibing that night on the stage and all that yeah that was magic but them bongos they weren't mine you know there was a guy, they weren't even mine. I didn't even, I took, I, did, I took the gem, I did, yeah, I took my gem down there. Of course I did, Drumbelina. I took Drumbelina down there with me, right? And when I got down there, I was like, right, Drumbelina, it's me and you. Yeah, me and you. <laughs> we're, we're just gonna, we're gonna go around and we're just gonna take the vibes. And that, that's what I did. But then, um, and my friend Donna came with me, uh, who had never been to anything like that before. She had her itinerary planned out. She had the full meal menu planned out for the day. I said, listen, I'm going to be at the shack all morning. I said, there's DJs on from 10 o'clock in the morning till half past two. I said, I will be there. And I literally went to the shack on the Saturday and I was there all day and all night. Um, and I played the djembe and then this guy got a call, Mark, that I met called Mark, and another guy called Tyson who had a, you know, van full of drums um, and just said, oh, look, man, there's a DJ on playing house music because I have music. I've got some bongos there. 
they sound good with, with uh, you know, with house music and stuff. I've got a stand. Do you want to see if you can play them? And I was like, yeah, of course, let's see, you know, because everything's a variation. So the bongos were different, but it sounded great. And and to, to get that vibe going that, uh, that that day and that night, it was, you know, it was one of the best Monday nights I've ever had in my life, you know. To think that today's Monday and we're doing this podcast, but two weeks ago, or last Monday, <laughs> last Monday we were all like, yeah, it was just yeah, unbelievable. Um, yeah, absolutely amazing. It's, um, it was the energy that was just, it yeah. just felt powerful. And yeah. that I've been a hardcore raver. I love a day rave personally. And also yeah. I don't mind raving into the night, but I get to a certain point and, and to be part of something that's been created, that's totally stone cold sober blew my mind and it just felt like I've actually felt high like from I don't know about yourself but it almost took me back to times of feeling that kind of euphoria but I thought this is just this is just coming from inside as well as the external and it was just magical it was it was it was truly something that I'll never forget um yeah because you know to be around that 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 energy and that amount of people um it's just when you know that people buzzing so Everybody was loving the music that the DJ was playing, buzzing off off Jen, Vegan Queen V, massive shout out to you. Uh, amazing. She was playing the violin live. I was on fucking Mark's Bongos. Yeah, you were just pulling out, busting moves, old moves, old school moves, dusted off from 1992. And uh, un- unbelievable. And then Natalie just found the gem. Natalie spotted a gem bit. She ran over, grabbed that one, got onto the stage. Then she got involved as well. So it was just like this eclectic mix of, of loveliness, deliciousness, you know what I mean? And it gave me, I'd never played um, the drums or anything oh, either. Well, so. Sorry, yeah, then, sorry, you played as well, at, didn't you? At one oh, point yeah. I was like, I'm just going to sit down and hit this and see what happens. And oh, yeah, it yeah. was like this whole experience. You're so meditative, it kind of, you, you're just thinking about staying in time with the beat and making sure that the beat's either in tune with the music or that you're making a rhythm that sounds okay. So that's all you're thinking about. You're not thinking about your gas bill, your argument with your partner, you, you this, you that, you, you know, you're not thinking about anything about that, you know? I'm not thinking about any of my problems, my anxiety, anything like that. You, It's just you and the beat. That's what's the, so beautiful about it. Um, it just takes you out somewhere for... A minute you know for as long as you're playing and if there's a good few of you together it's amazing yeah and before like stone cold sober like would you have ever thought you'd have been at a festival sober was you a drinker and a partier or i mean yeah i mean i'm not like i said to the girls when i went back to the sober rave you know it's nice to go somewhere different and i will continue to go to places like that i mean i'm not a sober person you know but i don't use drink to to mask anything or to use it as a pain relief anymore. You know, at first when I was excessively drinking or doing drugs, it was because it was trying to hide the pain of losing my father or in the circumstances that that happened. But now, you know, I've come to that point where I can sit down and have a meal and I can have a glass of wine and enjoy it. You know, Um, I've never really been a big drinker ever, you know. It's the smoking. I've always had a cigarette. My dad smoked. My granddad smoked. So that's my advice, and that's the thing that I'm 
you know, I, I tussle with, but I don't really smoke that much anymore either. You know, like I had two cigs yesterday. That's it. So I, I, I you know, um, and I try and, you know, eat relatively healthy, but I'm trying to break the old patterns of, of, you know, that continuous uh, traumatic loop, you know, uh, and eating food that's not good for you just for comfort and then self-loathing after and then the whole bullshit cycle that comes with that. Um, but the fact that I'm conscious of it all and I can see it all it, it is a massive thing, you know, because at least I know now. Um, and I've come out of that and I can see myself again. So what would be something from your experience that maybe you've done, obviously you've got the drumming and stuff, but something that maybe may help someone just take like a small step? To any men, to any men out there, or all women, you know, it, it's, you know, if there's a man's circle, if you're a man, you know, and you, you know, go to a man's circle, sharing circle. I, I, I just didn't know what to expect. You know, every man feels like they might sound like a bit funny or you might sound like a dick. Oh, I'm not going to sit in with a load of men. But that might just be your mindset. It might be an old mindset. It might be the ego talking. But as soon as you get there and you sit there, you'll realise that you're all pretty much the same. You've all got a different story, but the fundamental, you know, feelings or emotions are, are all the same. We all have a heartbeat, you know. Tell me what, so you went to your first man circle at Stone Cold last year. Yeah, I did. Yeah. So sort of tell us what it what was it like? Sort of. It was it was men just sharing like their story or telling them what the, what the fears was or or um, or what they struggle with. You know what I mean? And then just sharing that in a positive space where no one's gonna laugh at you. You're in a space where you're all safe and it's safe and and also it's private because you're in your own circle, so it never goes out of the circle. Uh, and some people really bond through that. Some men will find friendships. You'll have very, very similar stories or something will resonate with one man. And then after the circle, they'll go over to him and they'll, they'll start having a discussion about something. And then that could form a bond and a friendship that will last for the rest of your fucking life. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I would, I would encourage anyone to do that. And the second thing that, that blew my head clean off was, was breath work. You know what I mean? Um, and I mean, myself, I like to try and keep uh, as fit as possible. So I try and do a bit of walking. I've always had a mountain bike, so I get on that when I'm not stuck in my own head. But I, and saunas, but the breath work was unbelievable. I mean, I've always had a sauna. I do like a sauna. I've got a little tent in my flat, and when I get in it, I look like a little turtle with my head poking out. <laughs> um, but just things like that, you know, maybe go for a swim, um, any type of activity. But the breath work is something I'd tell anyone to do. But it's just whether a man wants to take that step. It just depends how much, how much fear someone might have going doing something like that. Um, but I just, I'm like, yeah, what's, well, what's this? Let's, let's see what this is. But not everyone's like that, you know. And plus, it was, it was Tam that was facilitating it as well. So it was somebody that I'd met, a friend who's become a great friend, uh, like a sister. You know, um, so I've gained like all these amazing people that come into my life. And I, I went and did it in some church. Let's call the circle near where I lived. And um, I literally crumbled the, the church with sobbing. 
<laughs> and it's just like, after when I came in, I thought, so what just happened there then? You know what I mean? Because I ended up crying and I, I was crying and I was sobbing and I was releasing whatever I was releasing. But I know what I sounded like when I was a, when I was a, a child, when I was crying. I can remember what I sounded like when I was really upset. And I'm, you know, I'm in my mid forties now. And I was laid on that floor in that church, and when I was crying, I, even though I was crying, I, I sounded like, I sounded like a kid. So I was releasing trauma from being a child. I know, I know for a fact I was, because it didn't sound like me. It didn't sound like my voice now. My adult crying. If I were crying now as an adult, I would sound like this. Didn't it was sobbing, but it was sobbing like a child cries. It was unbelievable. And after that. Um, uh, it, it kind of felt like a, something had gone from inside. Some weight had been lifted off me or something was different, mm. massively different. And then some people, all the guys that I know that have done that, now they can't get, they're addicted to it, they love it. Because apparently after a certain, you know, amount of releasing the trauma, then you go into kind of a, like a, just a dreamy, dreamy kind of state, kind of like, a euphoric, trippy kind of state, all through breath, all through breathing through your mouth. It's just madness to think that, you know what I mean? What? What? Yeah, I've just been out. I've just been off somewhere, mate. What did you do? You know, what have you been? What have you been taking? Breath, pal. 20 bag of breath. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah, unbelievable. Wow. Yeah, breath. Breath work for me as well is it changed my life overnight. Sounds yeah. similar to you. And um it's something that I say to everyone, it's accessible and if you can explore it, it's it's been the most craziest, wackiest, deepest journey I've journeys I've ever had in my life. And they just yeah. continue to just get better and better. Um, so thank you for sharing. I feel like that's really important for, especially a lot of men to sort of hear. Well, I mean, you know, you, you, what, what have you got to lose? Nothing. You know, are you going to go, no, no, no. I'll just, just take a, take, dip your toe in. Just do it once. Just try mm. it. You know, maybe you don't like it. You don't have to do it again. You know what I mean? If you'd rather go Bob, then try it once. And then if you don't like it, then you can go Bob Guy if you want to go Bob. Mm. So, <laughs> do you feel like? Obviously, you said you did the cold water as well. Like, do you feel these things are something that you want to do much more regularly now, or are they something you sort of dip in and dip out of? No, I mean, I mean, I've done um, my first breath work was at Stone Cold Sober last year. Um, <clears throat> I didn't do it for ages because the, the where I'd laid on the grass there was a big hole. So like when I laid in, my ass had kind of sunk into this hole, yeah, and my, my back was at a really weird angle. So after I'd laid there for a little bit, man, I was starting to get, a, it was starting to hurt a little bit. So I only went so far in. Uh, I did release, I did release some trauma and I, and I, and I did start to, to, to cry and kind of purge and get that shit out. And then, um, and then I got up and walked and I needed clarity. Like I've done this a couple of times, so... When I've gone into the to the to the breathwork, yeah, and I've gone in, yeah, and then I don't come out at the same time as everybody else. So you might get what you need from that session, and then you'll come out of it. And then I come out of it, and I'm I'm sitting up, man, and I'm seeing other people all around me, and they might be consorting, I might be doing 
you know, I don't know, releasing some mad sounds because loads of people like can laugh, you can cry, you can release mad sounds and all that. So it's quite, it's, it's quite uh, bizarre, you know, uh, to see it, you know, but it's kind of like, wow. But I, I got up and went and had my own time then because it takes me time for me to process what I've just done. So I, I always go and take time for myself and leave everyone to, 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 to finish doing what they're doing. Um, I have stayed at some and shared, you know, but sometimes I can't really... It, it, for, for me personally, it takes days or weeks even for, for that to fully start to affect have its effect, yeah, and for me to fully process it and be able to give you an answer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, uh, it, it's helped massively. The cold water showers, yes. Uh, I know people that would never, ever, ever get in a cold shower. But I did like, I've just had one this morning. <laughs> I did it every single day for six months, all through the winter when it was absolutely freezing. But I can't begin to tell you um, how amazing that is in itself. So, you know, obviously Wim Hof has pushed that a lot, you know, and that guy's unbelievable, that guy. Um, So, yeah, I just thought, well, if Hof can do it, I'm going to do it. And uh, I tried it. Um, And... Yeah, it kind of really helped, really helped with anxieties, really helped with depression. It's still helping because, you know, obviously, you know, these kind of things don't go away overnight. So it's a long process, you know what I mean? I still suffer from some days, you know, I still really struggle with anxiety, depression. I still struggle with going out. It only seemed to, all that stuff started, only really started to happen when, uh, or all these manifested uh, or, um, yeah, when, when when my dad was getting really poorly because I feel like I felt um I felt like completely weak, not weak, but completely helpless. I couldn't really do anything. Couldn't do anything for him. Um and, and everything was out of my control and it just gave me so much uh, angst and anxiety and I didn't really spend a lot of time with my father growing up. Yeah, my mum were only together till I was six years old. So I can remember only a small amount of that. But good times when I, that, that I do remember. And then my dad went back to Italy. So I saw my dad a handful of weeks from being like six years old to 17. I must have spent about, I don't know, 10 weeks with him or something like that. The first time I ever went over to on holiday to see my dad, I was like maybe six and a half, seven years old. My mum had to take me to Manchester Airport, give me to a stewardess, and I had a I had a pouch around my neck with my passport in it. The stewardess would put me on a British Airways flight and sit there on my own at like six and a half, seven years old, fly all the way to Italy. Yeah. The stewardess would take me by the hand into Milan Airport through the big shutter doors, and I'd see if my dad was at the other end there with his fucking ray bands on and his curly permed hair. Italian weave and uh, Italian perm and all that with ray bands on and then he'd be there and then my dad would take my hand and then but it was weird I'd be in a completely different country my mum wasn't there everybody spoke Italian I couldn't tell what the fuck anyone was saying Um, and then I would be there for six week holidays or a whole six week holidays but then I'd get immersed in the culture I'd start to learn 
the language because my dad would teach me the days of the week and the numbers and I'd spend time with my family and then I'd start to bond with all my Italian family and then before I know it it's fucking time to go home just as I'm just as I'm integrating into my Italian side of my family then it's my dad taking to taking me to the airport it's a British Airways stewardess grabbing me taking me from my dad that just not wanting to leave my dad, crying my eyes out because I don't want to leave my dad. And then I'm on the fucking plane on my own. And then when I get there, my mum's there at the thing. Here. And, and that happened from me being six years old up until the last time I went, I was 17. Um, but I only went a handful of times. So, you know, that's why it was tough because, you know, I was young, my dad was who he was, you know. I mean, I don't even know now whether it, we'd be able to sit down and have, like, a, a conversation about everything, you know. But there's a lot of things I would have liked to have asked him that, that and, and stuff, closure, that I, will never, that I will never get now. But it's just part of the story, part of the process, you know. I've never talked to, really to anyone about this stuff. But when I think about it now, being at such a, a young age and having to be torn away from one parent, go and bond with another parent and then be torn away from that. But my mum says she didn't think it was the right decision to not allow me to, to, to see my dad and to have that. She said she thought she was making the best decision to allow me to go and have and see my other part of my family. And I told my mum, I said, look, I don't, I don't, um, I don't regret one minute of it. I don't regret one bit of it. It's made me the person that I am today. Um, but yeah, you're thinking about it now, then, you know, some purge, some purging needed to be done. Mm. Um, but anyone that's going through any anything, you know, I, I would suggest going through, doing some stuff, go and have a sauna, go and have a massage, you know, treat yourself to a meal if you can afford it. If not, get a pot noodle. No, I'm <laughs> joking. Stay away from them pot noodles. They're terrible. Write some affirmations down. You know, you are strong, you are healthy, you are happy. Uh, and stick them up post-it notes so you see that every day and then slowly but surely that shit will get in your subconscious mind you know and it will have a positive effect on you i tell this to everybody i always try and make people laugh and i always try and make people feel good about themselves because i know what it's like to fight my internal battle every day and it's me versus me and some days the other version of me wins and it's not now it's healthy place to be it's a horrible place the self-worth one as well because I, I was overweight as a kid heavily bullied in school you know so so I've, I've just got like a big mixed bag of loads of different things you know not only just the the relationship the mum and dad stuff the bullying the you know then the you know being felt different because you've got a bit of weight on you so there's loads and loads of stuff you know um but anything that tries to anything that's going to make you feel good i would i would set to to, to do that you know, if someone likes a round of golf, go and have a round of golf, you know. Uh, have a bit of a walk, you know. Go and get a hug. Go and get a hug off someone. Hugs are good, you know. I'm a proper tree hugger, so... <laughs> yeah, well, the thing is, I wasn't... See, when I went to Stone Cold Sober last year, I was not a hugger. Yeah, I was all hardened and toughened up and become this kind of non-penetrable fortress because of dealing with what, you know, and dealing with my stuff. And then everyone's hugging, huggy bears everywhere. Mm. I love a hug now. Yeah, I do. I didn't at first, 
and now I'm conscious of not being the the overhugger. Because there's some linger bears there, right? And they grab you, and I'm thinking, I mean, there's some arcade machine, and they think I'm a teddy, yeah, and they try, you know what I mean? I'm like, whoa, let go, bro. Let go, sister. Let go of me, will you? Fucking Velcro straps all over me. Well, I think we're all learning. I mean, um, like yeah. myself, like I love a good bear hug, but it was someone that said to me, you don't receive hugs very well. Yeah, and, right. Okay. And I was like, what do you mean? So if I if I realised when I got you, hugged, you said so, I didn't like it. And I was like, get off. Whereas now I'm like, oh, yeah. I think that's just a natural reaction, though, to be honest. But I mean, it's uh, I'm still learning. I'm still learning every day. Mm. I don't, all I know is that I don't really know much. I, I can explain to people, you know, my the things that have happened and my process, but it's different for everybody. Um, you know, and you just go and you just try and make your way through all the craziness in the world because it is, you know, mental at the minute. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would tell anyone to go and have a cold shower straight away because people can do that. So if they're not too bothered about the breath work and all that kind of stuff, it's like, look, it's going to be cold. There's no getting away from that because everyone's like, oh, my God, it's cold. Yeah, it's cold. It's a fucking cold shower. But you can't get away from that. But you don't have to do it straight away. Get in hot, yeah? Have it hot. Turn it to cold for just that little minute. Breathe in, breathe in, and then take it to hot straight away if you don't like it. And then slowly but surely, you'll build up that time and you'll be able to last more and more in the cold. And the funny thing is, after a while, I couldn't bear a hot shower, right? The hot shower was like, nah, man, I've lost this. Because after a little bit within the cold and your body gets used to it, the cold actually feels warm. It, yeah. It's bizarre. It's so bizarre. It actually feels warm, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's something that people could do straight away. Try and get out of that headspace or a certain headspace, you know. Yeah, I find that the cold showers really taught me strength, like within me. Yeah. Um, to go past your threshold, you know. Yeah, it really got me out of my comfort zone, and then doing it. One thing doing it in a circle when there's people encouraging you as well to then actually do it yourself is just like, mm-hmm. oh my God. Yeah, because you, t- yeah, you can tap out, can't you? You can go, oh no, 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 and switch it on. So it, it's whether you're going to push yourself past that. Yeah. Uh, it's a good thing to do because it, it teaches you, you know, to, to push past that barrier in your mind. You know, that's why Sweat Lodge is really good. I've done a Sweat Lodge as well um, when they have to do a few rounds and, you, and it's so, so hot, ridiculously hot. But trying to get through them rounds, you know, and do it all, you, you do feel a great sense of achievement when you've done it. Mm. Um, but I think more and more people now, you know, they're kind of looking at alternative ways and nature's methods or, or you know, therapies that um, were ancient, but that are coming more to forward now, coming through as, as a way to help uh, with all different kinds of things, you know. Well, thank you for being so honest and sharing so much. It's been it's been really lovely. Yeah, no worries. But uh, yeah, thank you for asking me to do this. Thank you. And is there anything maybe you'd like to share before you leave or offer to the audience? I mean, just keep trucking on, keep on keeping on, you know, um, be yourself, keep smiling, you know, 
a lot of, you know, the majority of people in the world go through some form of mental language and everyone struggles with mental health in some way or another. So no one's ever alone. It's just taking that step to reach out. So I would tell anyone to reach out um, or to do any, anything holistic, you know, anything that we've been talking about. And um, yeah, let's let's keep the vibe. Let's keep the vibe high. Let's do it. And, uh, I'm sure I will. Um, I will see you again very soon somewhere. And what I'll do is I'll pop your details below so people can follow you on Instagram and maybe we'll attach that article as well for them to have that full read if if we've got it. <clears throat> maybe I could put that under so someone could read it and it might help somebody because you, you, you think that obviously when you're going through your journey, you know, uh, it's just personal and it's just you going through that. But there are some cases that are very, very similar, uh, if not almost identical. So, that, you know, people can relate out there to, to your story, you know. Um, so yeah, and have a cold shower. <laughs> Don't All, right, cold shower. <laughs> All right, my lovely. So I'm going to stop the recording here and I'll pop all your details below. So thank you again. Thanks.